Aaron, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How you doing? Doing, doing really well. Where, where are you at these days? I know you had said digital nomad, and that reminded me that you do, uh, that you've been kind of floating around the country for the last like year or so. Yeah. So right now I am in an area um, called Bumpass. As funny as that name is, Virginia. Um, it is about an hour like northwest of Richmond, and maybe like two hours south of DC. So kind of sandwiched in between some. Uh, like bigger areas, but we are like in the sticks remote right now, for sure. Are you, are you enjoying being in the sticks or is it kind of off-putting? I am enjoying it. Right. For, for me. And what I always say is like with how, uh, when I say me is like my girlfriend and I, we've been doing it for three years now, uh, being like nomads. Like I can, and everything's always temporary. We do anywhere from like three to three to five, six months somewhere. I can make the best out of anything. Cause I know it's only temporary. So with yeah. that, it's always just kind of like, I'm just enjoying the, the tranquility here and all the work we're getting done to be completely honest. So it's, totally. it's fun in that regard. Yeah. That, that, you know, even if it's a suboptimal scenario and maybe not a place you'd like, Hey, I'd plant roots here and stay here forever. You could probably find some, like you said, the sticks. And I was like, I don't want to live that in the sticks forever, but you probably have some like decent, like ability. I don't know if you have a dog. I thought about like my dog and like the, the seclusion and being, and getting a lot of work done without like pressure of like such a cool big city outside your door or something like that. So there's probably some good to it for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. So before we kick things off, I actually like to, to tell my listener, let's say they don't know you, kind of why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Like what about you to me felt like it would be beneficial to bring you on. And so what I was making some notes for that, funny enough, it's basically for the topic that we're going to talk about today. It's, it's, I think you and your content do a good job to kind of phrase things and choose words in a way that provide the necessary context that we need when it comes to nutrition training as well. Um, it's so easy to say things with like absolute and definitive language, but it's, it's in my opinion, intellectually lazy and, and disingenuous to the consumer. And so I think you do a really good job at doing that. That is what we're going to talk about today in terms of adding the necessary nuance and context, um, which requires a, a delicate word choice that I find, uh, I find admirable. I like others who I can tell are choosing their words deliberately to not mislead and to provide that context. So I think you do that really, really well. I really appreciate that because I strive hard to do that specifically. And I just see a really big gap in the space and I don't think enough people do so. And then people get misled because of things or things get misapplied in the improper context because people speak in absolutes. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank Agreed you. I try. <laughs> cool. So, so give us a little bit about uh, your background tell us about you and kind of how you got to do what you do today. Yeah. So um, my name is Aaron Straker. I'm a nutrition coach, uh, educator. I call myself an iron game enthusiast, digital nomad and podcaster. I came to do this as I was always like, I grew up playing a bunch of different sports, things like that. But the first place I really excelled uh, and felt like I was really, really loved it was the weight room. Um, and then through that, I uh, tried to go into the traditional, uh, the traditional world of office working. I was a software engineer for a number of years, but it was always a means to an end. It was always just a means to support my fitness lifestyle and, you know, pay the bills so I could go do what I really wanted to do. And then after kind of going through the paces there and realizing that I was not willing to invest any more of my life into what had always been a means to an end, decided to jump into the industry that I had always wanted to be in in the first place. And um, just jumped in and took that running. And that was about four years ago, four and a half years ago. And then ever since then, it's just been carving out a, a space in the industry for myself based on the 
the, the values, you know, things that I believe are really, really important. And then as much as I did and do love the weight room, I went the nutrition side of things because that's where I felt that I could um, provide the biggest impact and help really frame things for a lot of people. When you said that you excelled, it was like a place that you felt you excelled in. Like when you said you were in the weight room, it was the first place that you felt you or or the place you started to really feel that you were excelling in. What do you mean by that? I was decent at sports, right? Not, nothing special, um, uh, especially like in high school as everyone became. So I, I was, I guess, fortunate, I could say. I, when I was young, I was like bigger, stronger, and more coordinated than everyone. I like kind of peaked early. And then as we got older, like everyone caught up and I stopped growing and stuff like that. And then I became pretty average. Uh, but then in the weight room, like I just loved it. Like it was, it was something we had to do to play football. And a lot of, of the other guys like didn't want to be there, but I loved being there uh, even so much so that I would go home after, you know, our, our two hour weight room sessions, eat dinner, and then go lift weights more in the basement. Uh, not knowing that, you know, obviously when you're in high school, you really don't know shit, but, uh, that it was just basically a junk volume at the time, because I would just do the same things we had already done, but I just loved it. And it's, you know, that was, uh, man, 17 or no, like 19, 19 years ago. And I still feel the same way. It's still the first thing I want to do, you know, when I'm on vacation and then that sort of thing, it's my favorite thing to do with friends still. It's, it's just a place where I feel myself and, and at home. I love that. I felt like uh, for me, it was a place where outside of school, in, in contrary to how I felt about school, it was a place where I really felt the fruits of my labor were very tangible and there was no subjectivity to it. There was like, hey, you do the work, you eat the food, you grow the muscle. And it's a very uh, simple equation in that way where like, you know, maybe at the time I was like a little bit rebellious kid when it came to school and I felt like the whole the whole school system was like a bit subjective and like maybe teachers didn't like you or, you know, graded you in a certain way that didn't like properly reflect it. Like I preferred math and science that were a bit more objective. Um, and this was something where I, when I started to see results, it really built that connection between my effort and that result. And that can be something that sometimes is lost and was lost for me at the time in school. And it was really built in this, you know, iron game. I agree with that. It, for me, it was, it was something that connected like a hard physical work to, like you said, an end result. And I think for, for me, especially at that time in my life, when you are, you know, 15, 16, you're like, not quite a boy yet, or sorry, still, but you're not quite a man yet. It was something that I could physically take, take, uh, take hold of to facilitate that process of like becoming a man. If I looked like a man, so like my weight increasing, becoming more musculature, like, or muscular being stronger. It was like how I bridged that gap of those desires of at that point in my life. Awesome. So, so tell me a little bit about, so we've communicated on Instagram a bit and I know you and Brian, I know the podcast, um, but what do, what do you do on the day-to-day? What is like your space in the industry? Are you doing one-on-one coaching? You do nutrition only you're, you're doing training stuff. What are you, what are you up to? Yeah. So I work, um, on, uh, no, pretty much only nutrition. I do more guidance and conversations around training. I do have some training programs that I will, uh, give out to clients, uh, something as much as I want to not write training programs for people. I find that when left to their devices, people will follow really stupid things. And then it is borderline negligent in my morality to not step in and, uh, give them, facilitate something that's going to be much better for them. Uh, so find myself a little bit in the middle there, but I deliver my results mainly through nutrition because the, the clientele that come to me, they enjoy training. Like training isn't something that they need to be 
uh, held accountable for. Like that desire is already there. It's really just combating a lot of misinformation or filling the gaps of the like evidence-based space with things that fit into their lifestyle with maybe potentially like, you know, I'll get uh, recovering CrossFit addicts come to me, people who now know that for their body composition goals, right? Their bodies are maybe a little bit beat up and they want to just look good naked, right? Look cool naked and don't want to feel like shit from trashing themselves. So moving into that space and then we'll go a little bit deeper in terms of like what other aspects we need to look at. If that's lab work or evaluating how long they were in deficit or prior coaching experiences sort of thing. So that's day-to-day with my clientele. That is what that looks like. Cool. Awesome. And you work mostly or exclusively with men or mostly with men? Exclusively with men. Yep. I find that fascinating. That's awesome. And we're going to talk about it because it's like <laughs> yeah, the, not not the norm, I'd say. Like you just don't mm-hmm. find that as much, at least maybe it's just in my circle, but I love that. And I definitely want to touch on that. So let's not crack that one open just yet because I do want to hear a little bit of a discussion. I suppose me and you just kind of shooting the shit about I work, let's say, primarily with women, I'd say maybe 75, 25. But uh, I've always found the, inter- the the differences between them both, you know, bigger and smaller in some ways than than most people would believe, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's jump into the first topic here. And the question I'm going to pose to you, and we're going to have, I'm sure, several subsets to this question is why it's so important to add context. Why is it so important to add context around nutrition information and kind of how is blanket nutrition information potentially harmful or at least not the most helpful? Yeah. So I mean, talk about a can of worms with the blanketed stuff. It's really does that information, right. And, and the Uh, really the evidence from the information, right, apply to the population that you are finding yourself in. So like the the really, the really good example is a lot of our research studies are done on young males, right, who are exercise science um, uh, students or majors. Yeah, thank you for that. uh, Who are 20, 21, 22 years old, who are generally interested in sport. Taking that, applying that, some of those uh, uh, concepts to your 35-year-old single mother, or maybe not even a single mother, 35-year-old mother who has four kids, who's been sleeping five hours per night for the past six years since she has kids, who's back on now hormonal birth control, has been starving herself for years and years, trying to get her body back. It it gets uh, grossly misapplied. And then in the context of calorie deficit, where we have negative metabolic adaptations that take place over time, this can be dangerous in context. And that's really why I want to have a lot of these conversations because people just think like, oh, you know, eat less, move more, which yes, is pretty much like the, it does apply. But if you're thinking about it, it's like when someone's like, oh, well, I want a $5 million house. And someone just says like, okay, cool, save money. (laughs) It's like, there's a big gap that should be, um, more trepidously uh, bridged as opposed to just giving like really obvious unhelpful advice. Yeah. I think the eat less, move more one is such a good example of something that is a blanket sort of nondescript, doesn't have a lot of nuance or context attached to it. Umbrella sentence that you cannot say is, is scientifically untrue, but has a question of like, is this on the net net, for the average person who's hearing it, is this actually helpful? And my stance has always been, you're welcome to disagree, it'd be fun, but uh, my stance has always been that 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 sentence, it it isn't the end of the conversation. You can't say that to somebody and then that is you know what I take with and then I run with it. 
but it has to be, in many cases, the beginning of the sentence because there is so much misinformation about how fat loss is achieved, weight maintenance is achieved, what energy balance is, is it carbs, is it salt, is it, you know, is it processed food? And so there is something to be said. The funny part is that, that the reason I still think it is useful um, useful in, in air quotes is because it's actually content, like um, people might like not in, not wholly agree with that. And so the fact that we're still kind of, it's still like this thing that we're still almost arguing about. There's pe people who would tell you that that's straight up like false information, you know, uh, fake news. And so I think that it's, it can't be the end of the conversation. Some of these blanket things, let's say eat less, move more is, is the example we'll address here. But I do think it's an important beginning of the sent uh, the beginning of the discussion because it does wipe clean a lot of the fuckery and the the cha the chaotic gray area and confusion that some people will think it's like hey like these are yes each of those variables the 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 calories in and the calories out have several subcategories and and sub inputs um, but we do need to begin with this information and so I think do you find that sometimes these pieces of blanket information are like okay yes they're true and if added more context maybe they're helpful but often that context is left out. Exactly. And I think the way you phrase it is it's the beginning of the sentence, not the end of it. Uh, and that's perfect. Very, very uh, well eloquently put. So, so what do you think we can do? You, me, coaches, people, people who disseminate information to the end user, the general pop, like what can we do better to help uh, people not necessarily fall for or, you know, twiddle their thumbs with lack or information that lacks context? You really educate. And that's why I say I'm like a nutrition coach. I'm also an educator, uh, especially like, so we're fortunate, right? I mean, the space is booming right now. There's so many coaches coming into the space. There's a, there's a, again, a gap of what you're going to get out of like a, your L1 cert that you pay, you know, $400 for, and you go to, you know, a weekend and they're like, okay, cool. You're a nutrition coach now, you know, go, go, go save the world. When you get in the real world, you're going to find there's a lot, well, there's a lot you still do not, uh, are not equipped for. So for you know, people like myself, like educating, right? So clients are going to come in, they're going to come in with some bad patterns. They're going to come in with, unfortunately, some um, less than stellar previous coaching experience. And it's my job to turn that around and help them, you know, more objectively and better. I also think, and this is something that was really hard for me for a while, because in that, I didn't want to give people information that could potentially be unhelpful for them. That being said, when you try and speak to everyone, you speak to no one. So what I have done, and this is kind of what can potentially lead us to the part of the conversation where I only work with men, I started speaking to the person that I know how to help best. And I am 100% aware that that is not everyone. And when someone asks me, I explain, hey, you're taking that out of context. It's meant for like this, or even more so when I get someone reaches out to me for coaching and I'm not the best resource for them. I say, hey, I'm not going to take you on, right? Because this year outside that subset of the population that I work with. However, if you give me a little bit more about yourself and what you're looking for, I, in the industry, I have a lot of different coaches that I know and, you know, communicate with, I can help find you the best resource. So for me personally, like with my information and what I do, I want to be an inch wide and a mile deep where I find is too many people like to do the opposite. They think they need to take on every single client that comes and instead they end up a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. That's an interesting discussion. Some of the stuff that you said, so like making education, a pillar of your coaching, where if you are a coach and you are taking on clients, making sure that 
part of part of what you want to accomplish as the coach is educating the client to someday maybe not need you or to be able to just kind of give them a lens where they can see through some of the bullshit and, and start to, you know, put on a bit more of a skeptical hat and just have a, like a better foundation of the information so that they don't fall for as much shit that's out there. I love that. And that's huge. And certainly something that I would underline bold and italicize if you're a coach out there listening Make educating your client a, a strong, one of the main pillars of what you are there to do. It is not just to take them from point A to point B. They should be able to explain what and why they're doing to friends and, and family around them. They should have a good, at least a relatively good handle. Now, they again, find a balance of, you know, them needing to know cellular biology versus them kind of understanding that maybe sugar is not so bad for them uh, inherently outside of being in a surplus or whatever those things are that they can have an understanding of that can not just empower them to do better with the task they have at hand, but eventually just make them a more competent consumer and uh, on the whole. So I really love that. This discussion of like finding your niche or being a generalist or being an inch wide, a mile deep, it's, it is interesting because I think you can do well doing both as long as you make it clear which of, the, which of those you are. And so, you know, I certainly have uh, segments of the population, let's say competitors uh, that I won't work with just not because they're, I, I hate you, I hate, I hate competitors because I'm not the best person for that. It's not like what I would feel most confident doing. If you come to me for powerlifting, I'm not your guy. Like I can write a half decent program, but I'm not charging you the, my normal rates for something that I know that I'm not best at. And so I don't, there, I'd say there is a wide range of clientele that I would work with, but it needs to, you need to be honest with your skill set for certain tasks. And so if you want to be a generalist, it's okay. But in your content, in the way that you communicate, you need to let people know that you need to add context to certain things. If you make a post on Instagram, you need to make sure that there's some form of context because yes, there's probably a high percentage of your following that is in within a certain niche just because of like the consistency of your content is going to breed certain people who follow you. But I still think it's important. It's definitely something that I strive really hard to do. And it was how, kind of how we opened this podcast. Like don't be intellectually lazy. Like take the time to really think about what the person on the other end of this post or conversation or video or whatever is going to think and see if you can get ahead of some of that and add some context. Um, you know, and I love the don't take on every client ever. I think when we're starting out, I think all coaches are, you know, it's, it's hard to turn down money, man. And I, and I think that sometimes, you know, unfortunately at the expense of other, of the client, sometimes it's helpful to kind of have those stumbling blocks and fail a couple of times be like, you know, this isn't the kind of person that I want to help. This isn't the kind of person I feel ready to help. And so, yeah, some, some, a little bit of like those, like, uh, you know, you just let that learning curve in the beginning, uh, can understand if you're, if you've gone through that, I've certainly been months into a client coaching relationship before I realized that I wasn't the right person earlier on in my career when it took a long time to kind of catch on to that. So I really love all those points. Yeah. And like I said, you only get to knowing where you want to be through going through those paces. Like I've, you know, gone through those paces where I've worked with, you know, any client that would come like when you're, when you're new, like, yes. Oh, wow. This person, they're showing interest in me. Like of all these fitness and nutrition coaches, like you are choosing me 100%. Hell yes. Let's do this thing. Right. But then you just learn like there's certain people and certain personalities, and there's different reasons that people resonate with you or do not resonate with you. And as you you know, get more reps in, you just kind of learn, Hey, I traditionally don't have the best track record with these types of people. These types of clients give me a lot of stress and it's maybe a negative in your life, right? That can be, it's, it's okay to admit that like, Hey, these clients are bringing me down. They're negative aspects of my life. And then in the future, when people who exhibit some of those same patterns or personality traits or whatever, you maybe just do not take them because 
you've learned some of your lessons from, from history and type of thing. And it's just one of those things, as you get more reps and more experience, you're able to further kind of uh, steer what you're best at as a coach. Do you feel like even subconsciously or unknowingly you've created some sort of filtering process? Maybe it's an onboarding questionnaire or something where you're, you have like over the years, there are certain questions in there that you, you're like, this is the opportunity for people to kind of uh, show whether or not we might or might not be a good fit. Has that happened to you? 100%. Oh yeah. I think, I think my only like, like line in the sand is just that I want to work with clients who are interested at all in resistance training. And so you're like, Hey, I'm really, I'm focused on the nutrition side of things. You know, I'm doing a bit of a hybrid, but if you, you know, if you have absolutely no interest in resistance training at all, then that just isn't i I'm not saying that that's wrong. It just falls out of what I'm passionate about and what I think that the skills that I have, I'd like to use those skills. It's like, you know, it's like working your way to be a cardiologist. You're like, well, I don't want to do anesthesiology because I spent, you know, 20 years working on cardiology. And so there, there are things there. Like you said, it's like being an inch, uh, inch wide mile deep where for me, like I'm going to kind of narrow down that, that barrier and make sure that I'm taking on a clientele that one, I enjoy working with because I'll do a better job. And two, that falls under a category of, I know things that they want to know or that I think that they would be helpful if they knew. And we're all going to do a better job. Not, you know, the stay in your own lane crowd that gets really loud. I think they overdo it a little bit because I think the truth is the average coach doesn't need to know that much to help the average person. But the more specific that that person's goals are, yes, I think the more knowledgeable you should be on that subject, the more experienced you should be. But man, up and coming coaches, the average, you know, what is it? Whatever the data is, 70% of, of, of the United States is overweight. We're trending in a place where over 50% of the, of the nation is obese. Like most people don't need to know whether or not I'm hitting the iliac lat or the thoracic lat. Like most people need to have some sort of support and encouragement and understand that calories matter and that movement moving's probably good. And so you, yeah, you can be a generalist, but if you're finding that people have more specific goals and yeah, I would, I would lean on maybe making that, making sure you have that sort of knowledge. hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Let's look at it from the other side. Uh, if we could talk to the consumer about what maybe they can do better um, to maybe not fall for such blanketed advice or at least begin to have a better eye for when something sounds too absolute to be true. I mean, are there any tips, tricks that we can give the, the consumer out there? Man, it's, I think when people speak in absolutes is generally like a, like a, it, it's like a, it, it's like a, my spidey sense type thing goes off. So that would say when people speak in absolutes, just being able to see through like the aggressive marketing, right? When people really prey on your fears to sell you something and don't get me wrong, that's, there's ways it can be done eloquently, but if you're one, if you are like a, um, as to the consumer, if you are a emotional instinctual buyer, right. Where like you just, something like takes over you and you need to buy it right now. Those are generally things where like, Whoa, we want to back up when you're finding someone new, right. Explore them a little bit. What you find is these like really big names or people who, as much as I hate to say it, are kind of like snake oil-esque salesmen, you won't find them on podcasts. You won't find them on long format things generally because they don't have a lot of the ability to communicate well. And things are basic. It's a marketing show. Look at websites, right? See if you can find reviews and different information and just do a little bit of your due diligence and researching people. And that is generally a good start for what I would recommend. Yeah, I think the absolute language is the number one. I think if you're if you're finding somebody who's speaking in absolute terms where this is the thing that will fix the problem you have and no other way to do this, this works for everybody in all stages of their life, 
all that absolute language of this does this, this is best for this, this is the only way to do this. Those are real, I hate the red flag kind of uh, emoji kind of tirade that we were on on Instagram for a little bit, but that's certainly for me a red flag. You know, I think a big one for me, maybe from where I'm sitting is like when people make certain topics that have a lot of inputs to be about one or two really small things. And so I think of like the hymens and like the pearl mutters of the world where like they're making health, which is this massively multifactorial thing that goes well beyond the physiological into the psychological and the financial and the, and the subconscious. And there's so many inputs for each of those. No, it's, you know what? It's about managing your blood sugar. You know, that's the one key. And so whenever we take this big, when we take a big complex topic, even something, you know, like hypertrophy, which is way less multifactorial than something like health, which is super complex. If you're making hypertrophy about whether you're doing straight sets or pyramid sets, or whether you're doing eight reps or 12 reps, like we're, we're just very myopic in that way. I would kind of, that would, to me, would be a red flag where it's like, Hey, isn't, might there be other ways to go about doing this? I suppose it falls under the absolute language thing as well, but like trying to take these complex topics and just make them about one thing I find is again, quote, like a red flag for me. I agree. Yeah. People who want, and one thing that I, I find is the people like the smartest people are like, they choose their words the most carefully to not sound like myopic or, or absolute or something like that. Um, the people who I find are generally are like the ranters, the yellers, like those people, it's more of like a closed mindset. They think they already have all the answers type thing. So that's, you know, what I have found in my personal experience as well. And then from my standpoint, I try and make sure that I never, uh, do those sorts of things. Although like there's, there's been times where I've caught myself or something like that, but then I always try and walk it back and keep myself honest. There is something that I feel even more strongly about than the absolute language stuff. Um, It is the context that is missing of how important something is in the scheme of all the inputs. And that to me kills me because what is the issue is that there is always, it's always hidden behind something that is true. And so you might say something that is true, And so there's no context lacking in in the factuality of what you're saying. It's where does this, what is the magnitude of importance compared to where does this fit in the hierarchy of importance for the thing that we're talking about? And that kills me when we, you know, and, and, and when we talk about whether or not you're hitting the iliac lat or the thoracic lat or the lumbar lat or whatever, when we talk about, you know, pre-workout nutrition, when we talk about, you know, the, the, you know, specific micronutrients that we need to be having, when we talk about meal timing, all of this stuff, it's fun to talk about, but it must be attached to an understanding of how important this is, or we just end up missing the forest for the trees. And it happens so much and people hide behind the fact of what they're saying is true. It, yes, it is true, but the consumer also needs to know how important this is because they can only focus on and intellectually, you know, digest so many things. We want it to be the big rocks. Do, do you find that too? And do you have any, not to put you entirely on the spot, but do you have ones that like generally come to mind when you think of like, well, I wish people would just understand this is true, but not that important. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one, it's, it's really interesting because like you said, people are not speaking in a, in an absolute false, right? What they're saying is objectively true. It's just not a needle mover until it is a needle mover, right? So like peri-workout nutrition, is it important? Yes. But if you're only training two days per week at not really, really high intensities, and you can't even eat a consistent number of meals day to day, it doesn't mean anything because it's not going to move the needle. Right. So like I had, uh, I had an example I have with my client 
until I have for like a, like a weekly call that we all hop on and just like Q and A, I'll usually have like a presentation, that sort of thing. One of the questions was around like peri-workout nutrition. And then one of my other clients was like, Hey, you know, I'm just so we're clear, Aaron, like I'm not doing intra-workout carbs and like, do I need to be? And then I was like, X, you know, you got four kids. We're not sleeping enough yet. Do you think that adding this is going to make your life easier or harder for you? And he was like, you're right. It's harder. I, okay. I get it. And I was like, perfect. Right. Like these things do not matter unless we can check off everything underneath that is literally the basis of the pyramid. And then as you move up and as you can consistently perform the things underneath new things can matter, they do, but they won't matter more than the things that are already underneath of you. Yeah, it's funny because technically it's a logical fallacy for for it to say that you must work from the foundation to the peak. You must work from the big rocks to the pebbles. Like it's a logical fallacy of false dichotomy that you can't do both at the same time, that this guy can't focus on getting into the gym consistently four days a week and have the intra-workout nutrition. So technically, philosophically, that is that is untrue that we can't focus on both. But practically, you and I work with regular people. That is what happens. They get very f- pinpoint focused on peri-workout nutrition with anabolic window or, you know, I have a I have a... I've recently in the last like four months or so started a group training program, like a lower cost option, kind of like what Brian does with Paragon. Um, and I, the questions that I'll, I'll get, it's like, you know, ec- about exercise order. You know, people are very nervous about changing the order or if they go one rep over the rep range or something. And, and these are all discussions of like, you know, I'll have a question of like, well, does the exercise order matter? I'm like, yes, I programmed it in this order on purpose, but if we factor in, like, I just think that there's a, it's, it's important. I get goosebumps about this a little bit because I think um, there is a lot of stuff that we need to say, like, if we imagine a pyramid, if we drew a pyramid where the stuff that is, gets you the most return on your investment is at the bottom, there's going to be a point in that pyramid where we draw a line and everything above that is not as important as personal preference. There's somewhere in that line where we're like, you know, these might be ways that you could improve something, but it's such a small percentage that if it takes away from personal preference that might make you enjoy this the most or be adherent to it the most, then it's actually not as important as that. And the exercise order one is something that comes up where it's like, you know, is this important? Yeah, it's important. I freaking, what do you think? I just threw this together with a blindfold on. But if logistically your gym is laid out in a way that these two machines are far apart and this the the leg press, is all, you only have one and it's hogged. And if you show up and it's there, can you do it first, even though I programmed it third? Because you might not, yeah, of freaking course, because that to me, it's important, but it falls just below this amount of importance that would be outweighed by personal preference. I think like, same with like, you know, you I'm sure you deal with some like, uh, like meal timing, meal frequency. You know, it's like these things, if you ask me what might be physiologically optimal in a vacuum, maybe I have an answer, but I'm first going to inquire about what might be best for you from an adherence standpoint. Yeah, because if adherence isn't going to be there, the optimality doesn't mean anything. And the, the program one is, is very, it, it's, it's, it's perfect because people want like the perfect program, but odds are the perfect program you're going to hate doing. And if you hate doing it, you're not going to give the intent you normally would or anything like that. So even though it might be perfect on paper, if you don't want to do it, you're not going to put the effort into it that it's going to, that it requires. And so like that personal preference, like you said, yeah, there is a point where it comes into play. Because if you don't like something, the odds of you consistently doing it, there's always, it's always a means to an end. And that's why like the people who, who they're, they're like driven by the goal of like, you'll get an inquiry or something like that. And someone's like, I just need to be shredded for summer. And like, I'm like, that's a means to an end because like you, that outcome, you don't have any 
connection to based on what you think it's going to provide. And I can tell you from personal preference, it does not, or sorry, personal uh, experience, it's not going to provide you what you think it is. And when, when you approach it like that, it's always going to be a means to an end. Yeah. Agreed. I just want, I want, I want people to know where things fall in that hierarchy of importance. And if you, if we want to have a discussion about the minutia, if we want to have a discussion about optimal arm path for the front delt versus the clavicular pec, we can have that conversation. Let's have it under the umbrella of understanding that this means fuck all compared to what you're actually going to look like, uh, you know, five, 10 years. It is mostly, I don't want to use the term mental masturbation, but there is some element of just like, it's intellectually stimulating to talk about some of this stuff. And that's cool. And it's, it's cool to make inching strides and, and, the intellectual stimulation piece you just said is important because sometimes just having stimulation in your program or your nutrition strategy, or whatever, can keep you engaged with it and make you more adherent. And so I am all for having those conversations, but let's comma have this all under the umbrella. Like I, it is so common for me to type out a question in the group or an answer and then comma, you know, but if personal preference would, you know, if you really don't enjoy doing it this way, or it's not practical for you to do this based on logistics around your program or what your lifestyle can allow or fit in. Like, I want you to know that this doesn't matter a whole lot compared to, you know, hypertrophy is such a funny example because it's so forgiving. You know, if you do enough sets and you do them with enough intensity, if you do enough sets close to failure, you're going to grow, you know, 95% as well as if you have every other variable combined from a training perspective, um, ticked off the perfect exercise selection, the right tempo, all of this stuff. And it's like, as long as we're all, you know, as long as we're on the same page with that, we can talk about the, that last five or 10%. We can optimize it, all of that stuff. And just important to kind of, this is the context that I want people to add so much. It's like, just, okay, let's, it's fine. We could talk about um, whatever. I think of Perlmutter, he's basically been on like a uric acid tirade lately. Like we could talk about some of this stuff, but let's put it in context for fuck's sake. Yeah, I agree completely. And like the training one is, it's really, really, it's a really good example. And it's something where I don't feel, and I will say this on our, on our own podcast, when I have a conversation with Brian, I don't feel strongly in either direction to be able to speak with like conviction on like, it actually does matter. The one thing I would say is injury prevention, right? And For this that. is coming from someone who's had sure. so many training injuries totally. and, and surgeries and things like that, just from being young, stupid, and literally just going hundred miles per hour every single day. But I mean, especially being a natural as well, right? You're, you're limited on, on the amount of muscle you can really accumulate and it gets slower over time. Those first like five, six years, like if you're just training hard and really enjoying it, like you're going to put on muscle and eating enough, right? You're going to put on a large majority of your, the muscle, the muscle you pretty much will ever put on. Okay, so last thing on this topic that I do want to kind of discuss is the problem or the discussion of being in an echo chamber. And I think that that can a lot of times happen where, you know, you cultivate a following and it goes in two directions where you cultivate a following that all agree with you and you keep posting a lot of the same stuff and you don't actually expose yourself to different information. So from a from a content creator, but also from a content consumer standpoint, do you find that it's like, it's helpful for you as the coach to also like follow people like, let's say Pearl Mutter, Hyman, you know, Dave Asprey, whatever. Some of these people that are spitting mostly nonsense um, to just kind of get a feel for what's out there and, and be able to communicate with the consumer and be more in touch with what's going on. I, since I, I'm kind of fortunate that in the very beginning of my uh, nutrition coaching, you know, career, I have hired a coach for myself who's doing things very differently from everything that I got in my certifications and my mind like exploded. So I'm very lucky that 
that just kind of happened to me, but it's really opened my eyes. And now from what I've done over my, on my careers, I diversify my information sources, right? Because you get like five different certifications, right? They're all going to agree, agree on a few um, certain aspects. And you can kind of check that and be like, okay, these all make sense. I'm going to, you know, put those in my, in my coaching toolbox. However, from there, there's going to be like little different pieces where people might say things that are super outlandish and you're like, "Ah, I don't really know about that. And you kind of don't take that with you, but I'm a big, big, big proponent of diversifying um, your information sources and to like where the, where the, where the, 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 the coaching space is going, where a lot of the clientele, right. The, the, some of the issues and stuff they have, there's gaps. So f- from that, I never would recommend being like, oh, well, I'm a X guy or girl, and I'm only going to do this. Even if you just diversify information sources to make sure that you still disagree with it. I think that's even in that aspect, very beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps me grounded and it keeps me focused on some of the BS that I'd like to keep fighting, but also it just does keep me in touch with what else is out there. Just to, I don't want to take for granted that my client, my, my customers, clientele followers are only following me and you and other people that I think are doing their due diligence to put out good information. Like I want to make, I, I also want to make sure that I'm immersed in what else might be out there as much as I want those people, my customers, people listening to this podcast, I'm like, you just follow me and you and Cass and Lane and, you know, all of these other people putting, putting out good information as much as I would, you know, it's, it's not fair to say that because I don't want to put us up on a pedestal as if we are all doing something like, you know, some perfect work. We're not. And so, you know, I understand that that's never going to be the case. And, and it probably wouldn't want that from a philosophical standpoint, just to assume like, you know, we still need to be challenging all of the things that we're, we're thinking and feeling. And it doesn't, it's a good opportunity for us to kind of reinforce how we feel sometimes. Like even, like you said, just having that disagreement in your own brain with something that you read, it is a mental exercise that kind of furthers along how you feel about certain things. I feel strongly about certain things because I've probably kind of hammered and hammered and hammered and shaped and adjusted that opinion over time from seeing counter opinions. And so I do think that that's really important. Yeah. And I think it, it that approach kind of speaks to like the type of, of mind certain people have. And that's, I'm fortunate that I've always just kind of, when people are like, well, I mean, if I hate to bring it to this, you look at like the political landscape of the United States, right. And how polarizing it is. And for me, like I find myself on either side on a lot of things and, and I can see both sides and I purposefully, not that I pay much attention to it at all, but I will agree with things on both sides. And then same thing with different parts of nutrition and, and in kind of like nutrition, you have the like you know, the obesity and, and insulin model versus the like calories in calories out. And I, if I have to ch- choose one, I'm going to err more on the calories in calories outside. Cause I think, you know, objectively that is true. However, not everything on the other side is a complete fallacy. Just, you know, the start of the sentence, right. <laughs> I think is, it should, uh, should be considered fallacy, but not everything has zero merit. Agreed. Let's talk about, you know, whenever I have a coach on here that I really do feel is immersed with the average person is really working closely. Like you can tell based on the way people speak. And I think a lot of it does kind of refer back to the type of nuance that you'll speak with the lack of absolute language. That person I can tell is working with the average person. They are having zoom conversations with real people. They are having, you know, email threads with clients where they're going in depth and they're getting an actual real picture of the way people think about stuff. And so I'm interested whenever I have a coach that I know is really kind of immersed with their own clientele and doing deeper work. Um, 
what would some of the traits of your most successful clients be? And we would, we could, you know, kind of precede that with the discussion of what success would mean, but, you know, we can kind of dive right in and, and just kind of think of some of the stuff that jumps to mind for you when you think of the clients that you find have the most success with your coaching. Yeah. So with me particularly, it, I'll say it will be a little bit different because of like my coaching style and methodology is heavily objective. Um, we track a lot of things, right? I want, you know, we use chronometer to track our food logs. I, I use like a prove it to me type of model so that we can um, remove, you know, uh, certain things that we might need to uh, um, not really, what's the word I'm looking for? Really just, just to prove it is basically what I'm saying. So with me, like the, my most successful clients, I would say one, tracking their food like really isn't an issue because we've learned how to do it really, really simply. And they, they're heavily goal-based. Also, they look at nutrition and everything we're doing as a long-term thing. It's not like a, I need to be shredded for, for summer so that I can impress this girl on, you know, June 3rd and then go back to my other life. Can I pause you there on that one? Can we talk about that for a sec? Cause let's say you, it's inevitable that you're going to have somebody who expresses that upon the onboarding process that, okay, you know, I just got a DM like literally 10 seconds before we started. It was like, Hey, I got to wet my wedding in five weeks. Are you available for coaching? So invariably you're going to find some scenario where that happens, where you, that's like on their questionnaire or something. Are you turning that person away? Are you having a discussion about, you know, Hey, that's not exactly what I do. If you're willing to kind of look things at a, on a larger scale then maybe we, like, how are you handling that situation when somebody does come to you with that sort of like shorter term, very rigid goal oriented mindset, maybe. So what, what is approach I have taken and what's, what's really interesting is you, if you're a coach in the space, or if you work with business coaches or different, you know, methodologies, people will tell you to do things completely a different way, but I'm super, super transparent. My website has my pricing, my minimum contract agreements, exactly, you know, my, my pillars that. and that sort of thing. So I don't get that as much uh, anymore, but when I do get those, I know it's someone who messaged me like immediately out of like a, I really cannot think of this word. I want to use it's impulse, right? Yeah, like a knee jerk impulse message. Yeah, a knee jerk. They didn't do. They didn't do any sure. of their like. They didn't they look the website. at my website or anything like that. And as much as I, I don't want to speak about them in like a negative light, but it's not going to work out for them long term. It's not going to work out for me long term. So I won't be rude or anything like that. But I know that's not a client that's either going to sign up or even if they did, and like I have. I know from personal experience, it doesn't work out the best because everything is very end result focused without understanding that like you need to go through the process. The process is what gives you the result, not a desire for the result. Um, so it's just like one of those things it's, I will, you know, answer their questions and stuff, but it's generally, I'm like, Hey, this isn't, this isn't for you type of deal. I think that you make a super important point. I think it's important to, for you to do the work on the front end, communicate what you're about and that is what I, that is like my big love for social media, which I don't love everything. But the thing I do love is that you will, if you put the work in, whether it's in your website or your blogs or your podcast or your social media, your Instagram content, you will attract somebody who vibes with what you're about. And if they follow you for long enough, people are always like, you know, how do I find the right coach for me? You know how you find the right coach? You consume their content for a long time. You get to know them as well as you can via their content. And you find somebody that links up with, you know, maybe it's the way they speak, what they're about, the skills that they have, the experience that they have. And so you kind of said a really important thing for from a coaching perspective is like, make that stuff known, speak about that stuff, be transparent about that. And from a consumer standpoint, you know, make sure that that person that you're kind of reaching out to, like, you know, is about what you're about. Uh, and I think if you, if you read, if you look over your website, then that person would have at least come to the conclusion that like, maybe this isn't right for me. I also think having a minimum length of time, like a minimum commitment for coaching is 
kind of uh, says that in a bit of an indirect way. Like for me, it's like a six month minimum. And so it's like, you know, if you want to get shredded in the next eight weeks and that's all you care about and you're going to like, just know we're signing up for six months. And that means I'll help you get this goal that you want. But are you also remotely interested in doing more than that? Because this is a six month minimum commitment. We're going to be working on the reverse process, the maintenance process, maybe the removal of tracking or finding what the best balance for you is in terms of, you know, data collection. Um, And so I might have that discussion and say, hey, listen, six month contract here. And so, you know, I know you have eight month thing here or eight week thing here, but like, is just know that these are the other things that we could be doing. If you're interested in that, fine. If, if that's not your fancy, then great. Then then we'll go our separate ways. Exactly. And I think it comes from like a, a confidence in your coaching ability and just experience, right? Because I've I've taken those clients on before who are like, I need to be shredded in eight weeks. It doesn't turn out well. So in in my experience now, if I came to if someone came to me with that and they're like, Aaron, I need to be shredded in eight weeks, the only re, the only the only condition I'm taking that person on is in I need to know I want the last four weeks of your nutrition logs and what your current caloric intake looks like. I want lab work and I want a DEXA scan. That's the only conditions I'm taking that person on. Because unless all their sex hormones, thyroid, and everything is in a good spot, I'm not touching it. Cause at this point, like they'll be frustrated. I'll be frustrated. And if it's, if there's red flags that say, Hey, this is probably not going to work out, or you need to diet at such a dangerous level for that facilitation and go out or to work out on the back end, you're just going to have more problems. And I just, I, from like a morality standpoint, I don't want to take anyone in, in a, into a, a worse position. Like I want to leave everyone much better than they came to me in. And in certain contexts of the goal without enough information, when you make that decision, it's really, really hard to be able to confidently uh, avoid that situation. I think most most good coaches are at least strongly considering these days from the people I've spoken to, maybe it's just my circle again, but are at least strongly considering when they bring on a client. It's like, let's, like you said, kind of a prove it mentality. It's like, let's show me that we can do some of the things that are easier than what you say you want to do before we do the thing that is really hard. And so whether that's like a maintenance block, uh, like one mesocycle, let's say you're doing training as well. It's like, maybe we're doing one mesocycle at maintenance calories, tracking with consistency and hitting your steps. And, you know, whether that's acquiring blood work or, or a DEXA or whatever it is that you might find to be useful in that state, especially for a, a healthy weight person trying to get shredded, let's say, um, mm-hmm. that, that stuff might be even more important. Um, yeah, I find that to be, I find that, you should be at least, like you said, the only way I would take somebody on immediately get into like some sort of like, let's get shredded mentality is if you've already done some of the prove it to me work. And so I do really like that. And I think, I don't remember the last time I took on a client and day we day one, we went into a deficit. It's like, can you track? Can you track accurately? How is your mental state while you track? Um, you know, how, how generally adherent and consistent can you be on the weekends? And so some of that stuff to me is like a buy-in almost. It's just a buy-in for the thing that we're going to do that's going to be harder than this. And it's like, well, if we can't do two weeks at maintenance, then I don't know what we're talking about in terms of like, let's get shredded over the next 12, you know? Yeah. Something that uh, any any client that comes to me, we're doing four weeks at maintenance because uh, I want I want I want food logs. I want to see right. how weight's going to fluctuate right. in those. And the, the, what it really comes back to me is like, if you cannot thrive and consistently adhere at, at, uh, at maintenance, like what makes you think that you're going to be able to do this at a deficit when you're hungry, you know, your energy levels are slowly declining. Uh, you do not have as much flexibility to fit in all the micronutrients we need to. It's like, if you can't do it at maintenance or at surplus, you're not going to be able to do it in, in, in a deficit. Like the example that I always say with this, it's like jumping into the, the shallow end of a pool and not being able to st- uh, swim. Like that's okay. 
you jump into the deep end of the pool, which is the calorie deficit, and you don't know how to swim, like it's not going to be okay. Yeah, I like that analogy a lot. Um, how much do you think differences in self-awareness make a difference for the end result? And I say the end result, if we were to define success, then I would just loosely define it as the client being in a better place when they leave you. And so how much do you feel that a client's ability to be self-aware and maybe, you know, I can throw some examples around and I mean to put you on the spot with this one, but I think self-awareness comes to mind for me when I think of the type of clientele that that ends up being most successful. Um, maybe it's from a being able to be honest with themselves or honestly assess what their current life is like. Do you find that that's a big indicator too? That one, I feel kind of hard uh, answering like this, the self-awareness can you give me any, a couple examples? Yeah, sure. There? So I feel like yeah. there's a, like being self-aware about what your life, like the, the actual lifestyle trade-offs that you are willing to make versus the ones that are in your head sound good. Um, okay. You know, being realistic about the the process goals that are going to take you where you want to go. Being able to like take a step back and look objectively at your life and say, you know, do I have four days of, of 90 minutes to train or do I have three days at 60? Am I going to realistically be more sustainable? Or a lot of times it's with protein number. That's one that comes to mind where people are like, Oh, I heard one to 1.2 grams per pound is it's great. It's like, dude, you're eating 0.5 right now. So maybe it's more realistic for us to do some form of a step, step up approach. Um, same thing with step number. It's like, are we realistically getting 12,000 steps a day or can we find a happy medium that's gonna be more sustainable? And so it's like, it's not just you know, if we look at the most trait of most successful client, the answer is the person who does the thing they need to do. But sometimes I think it's the self-awareness that sets you up for success where you're more realistic about what's what you're capable of or what you choose to do at this moment. I think I like to frame everything as a choice here. You're choosing the trade-offs that you can or can't make at this time. Um, and I find that, you know, a client will succeed better if they are more realistic, more honest with themselves about what they're willing to. That doesn't mean you, you lower the bar to something that's not at all ambitious, but you are at least realistic and a bit more self-aware about what you like doing, what you're, what you'll be able to adhere to, et cetera. Yeah. I, okay. So I understand the question. A lot mm. Thank you. I, I couldn't agree more. Like, that awareness is huge because it comes into like what you're going to be able to consistently do. And a lot of people think like, okay, I've hired this coach, you know, I'm going to go from 40 miles per hour to like hundred miles per hour. And you like going a hundred miles per hour requires a lot of skills that you do not have yet. And you can't just acquire skills overnight. Like you acquire them slowly over time. And that's the self-awareness is huge because also it helps create like an open communication channel with the coach, which is super, super important because there are times where, you know, your ambition of your goals may be a little bit greater than the coach thinks your ambition of the goals is, or a little bit. Uh, to be complete, to completely honest with me personally, a little bit opposite, right? Because when people, like when I take on clients, like I have people rank their goals and stuff. And then one thing that I just started doing this year, and I was really, really nervous about it because it's their uncomfortable conversations. I started being super, super transparent with all of my clients. Fortunately, yeah. So what, and, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to be super, super transparent. I, um, I just, I'm very introverted, right? And in person. And I just don't like having difficult conversations because they're uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Uh, and so in years past, I had been a little bit more like cheerleader-esque for uh, my, my clients. And one client last year, 
um, I, I sent out like a, you know, at the, at the end of like my coaching agreement, you know, or how, how was the service or whatever. And they're always really, really positive. I had one guy, it was super negative. He was like, this was a, this was a waste of money. You know, uh, you didn't, you didn't help me reach my goals, anything like that. And it bothered me because I just wasn't honest and transparent with him. And he just like his thought for what he was going to be able to do was very, very far from the, the reality. Like he rolled multiple injuries into like a sickness, a surgery, moving a new job. And he thought we were just going to calorie deficit through all of this. But on my standpoint, I'm like, one, we're not even going to try because you're going to crash and burn. And it's like borderline negligent of me to take you through a calorie deficit when you just had a surgery and you had another back injury and all of these things. So to me, it was really obvious, but I didn't clearly communicate that with him. So when that came through, it really, really bothered me. So I said, this year, I'm being super transparent with everyone. And when, well, I'll get guys that have come in who are, you know, sometimes inconsistent in that sort of thing. And they'll say like, Hey, I want to lose 30 pounds by July. I just build out a model. Right. And I'm like, Hey, at half a percent to 1% body weight per week over X amount of weeks, we need to be incredibly adherent every single week for the next four months to reach that goal. And then they go, Oh, okay, well maybe like, let's like do like 12 pounds or 10 pounds or something like that. So just being really transparent helps, you know, bridge that communication gap and level expectations with the coach and the client. And that's been something that, again, it can be uncomfortable, especially when I have to tell people like, Hey, I know you have this goal, but like the consistency and what you're doing right now, it's not enough to reach that goal. So either we need to change our goal or we need to change how we fit this into your lifestyle. And it's overwhelmingly worked out like incredibly, incredibly positive. Um, so I'm really, really glad that I did it for any coaches out there listening or clients, you know, listening, it's really important to open that communication channel. Two things that came to mind when you said that one is that I think that what you said is massively important in terms of being honest about what that person's goal will cost because it is not your job. I mean, it is literally your job to get them there and to sell them down the river. Some story about it not being that hard is disingenuous and also doesn't end up helping them get to that goal anyway. It's just you avoiding the tough conversation, taking their money, crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. Whereas like if we can find that balance of realistic and, and, uh, and ambitious where the client, like maybe he wanted to lose 30 pounds and if he lost 10 pounds, thinking he was supposed to lose 30, he probably has a negative response emotionally to that outcome. Whereas if you were kind of painting the picture of what 30 would cost, what 10 would cost, 10 meets his, you know, his self-aware version of what his lifestyle can handle right now. And then he does lose 10 pounds. That'll be a much more enjoyable experience. Although the same amount of weight lost. And the second thing is the, the direct conversation and versus like, let's say a little bit more of a cheerleader style. While I do think you know, cheerleader has like a negative connotation to it. There's absolutely a part of our coaching that is supporting and pushing and, you know, and cheering. There's a hundred percent, a portion of our coaching that does that. It's not entirely blunt conversations. I know you didn't mean that, but I just think yeah, that it's, no. it is a balance and it changes per yeah. person and each coach will have a different, you know, like predisposed, you know, balance of those two. Um, but the funny thing is that you work primarily with men. I think that there's, or exclusively with men. I feel like there's a there's some, I don't know, some preconceived, maybe it's just me. Maybe this is like an inner bias of mine that like people think that men will respond better to that direct language and women need to be coddled or more adhered to emotionally uh, or considering their emotions. And I've just, it's funny enough that like, I don't have as much experience with men. So maybe, you know, 25% of my clients are men, but 
I would say across the board, I find that people in general appreciate that because they're not getting that elsewhere. And yes, there's a difference between being direct and being a dick. Uh, and so I think that that's the line that we tow and that's kind of how we do what we do where we are direct and helpful and save time, but do it in a compassionate tone. Um, but I actually find that women respond amazingly, amazingly well to that and are, you know, I, again, maybe these are inner biases that live in me somewhere, but, or did at one point, but like, women are, respond amazingly well to this. Don't want your bullshit coddling on average. Right. And, and yeah, don't be a dick, but um, you know, if there's people out there that think that like women need to be like, you know, you know, a, a catered to in, in a much softer foofier way, I find that to be very much not the case. And I find that they're extremely tough emotionally and can absolutely handle and would appreciate a bit more of a direct approach. And so for coaches out there, you know, who might have that notion as well, I would disagree. Um, and that's funny that you feel that way with men. I feel that way with, my, it's funny because I almost, I've almost had the reverse experience where like, uh, you know, maybe it's just because I have more experience speaking to women, but than men, but, but uh, whatever, maybe not the reverse experience, but enough of an, an evil play, even playing field from that regard that I found it note, noteworthy. Yeah. It's, I think it's just across the board. It's important to do just for everyone's sake to make sure that your expectations as the coach meet their expectations as the client and vice versa. And, and it's important to not do it in like a, a dick manner. Uh, and then I would agree with you. I think on average, your women are going to be more into like their, you know, fitness nutrition goals on average than men. So I think like by helping tie that in, it, they would respond really, really well, because I would say like, if you ranked, you know, average, like women just prioritize, you know, fitness in health, uh, more than, than your average man does. Yeah. And whether that's a product of being marketed towards, uh, or that's like an inner, just like an inner difference genetically, I'm sure we can't really parse that out now. Uh, all right, we're coming up an hour. I want to be respectful of your time. Plus I got like 900 cleaning people coming in a second. And so let's, uh, let's cut it there. There are some things I did want to chat about that we'll kind of circle back around to on another episode, but sure. you know, drop a line, tell people where they can find you. It's been super great having you on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You can find me. I'm most active on Instagram. That is Aaron underscore Straker. Uh, you can find me at strakernutritionco.com. And then as well, I have a I co-host a podcast with Brian Borstein and that is called Eat, Train, Prosper. Excellent. I'll link all of that in the description. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Jordan. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.